Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 183 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big Bible questions are, why did Jesus cast demons into a herd of pigs, and why did he do what they asked of him? So hello, friends. Happy Lord's Day to you. Uh, Wherever you fellowship, allow me to urge you to join with your brothers and sisters today in worship, prayer, Bible study, and all of that kind of good stuff that comes with being part of the body of Christ. Minister to each other. Encourage the people that you know in your church. Hear the word of God and follow it. Pray for the people in your church, the leaders, your pastor, and for an end to this pandemic. Worship God loudly with all of your heart, whether you are gathered together in a sanctuary or watching a live stream from home. Now, as always, I invite you to join and participate in our live stream. That will be at 11 a.m. Pacific at VBC Salinas on Facebook. That's VBC, the letters VBC, Victor Bravo Charlie. Stands for Valley Baptist Church, Salinas, California. You can just look us up on Facebook and we will be live streaming there at 11 a.m. Pacific. And today we are seeing how Jesus enables us to shine his joy During this mostly awful season, even when our flesh wants to do nothing but brood, complain, and be afraid. Our Bible passages for the podcast today see us finishing the book of Deuteronomy by reading chapters 33 and 34, as well as more of Psalm 119, verses 145 through 176, Isaiah chapter 60, and Matthew 8, which is the home to our focus question, and honestly one of the most perplexing incidents in the entire Bible. So in Matthew 8, Jesus is confronted by two violent, loud, supernaturally empowered demoniacs who begin shouting at him, channeling the demons that are in control of them. Now what happens next, if you've never read it, is really going to surprise and mystify you. So rather than me spoiling it, let's go read the text. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. Jesus said to him, Am I to come and heal him? Lord, the centurion replied, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed, for I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. I tell you that many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus told the centurion, Go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that very moment. Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever, so he touched her hand and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. He drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weaknesses 
and carried our diseases. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Lord, another of his disciples said, First let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to die. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. When he had come to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him as they came out of the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, What do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? A long way off from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. If you drive us out, the demons begged him, send us into the herd of pigs. Go, he told them. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs, and the whole herd crushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. Then the men who tended them fled. They went into the city and reported everything, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. At that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. So we learn from Mark 5, because this this situation is told about in Mark 5, Luke 8, and our passage today, Matthew 8, that one of these demoniacs, uh, which means demon-possessed men, is so strong that he is broken every chain and shackle that has ever bound him, and no person has ever been able to subdue him. Now, by the way, uh, Mark and Luke only mentions one of these guys, which is not does not represent a contradiction or a textual problem. It's just that's the kind of a feature of eyewitness testimony. Just because two eyewitnesses don't all say the same thing doesn't mean that that didn't happen. Nothing's contradictory in the fact that Matthew reports two demoniacs, but Mark and Luke only mention one. So people demonized can apparently be supernaturally strong because, you know, a normal person, even a really strong person, cannot break chains. And the chains they had back in the day during Jesus's day were probably not as strong as chains we could have today, but still beyond the ability of your average strong guy to break them. And the fact that these guys demon-possessed guys can possibly be supernaturally strong is seen in the episode of the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts when they are beaten naked, seven of them beaten naked by one demon-possessed man when the young guys, I think they're young, tried to cast out a demon by emulating Paul rather than by knowing Paul's Savior and Lord. So those guys' mistake was thinking that the power came from Paul or his methods rather than Jesus. Now, upon sighting Jesus, these demons accost him with the most curious question. Was Jesus there to destroy or torment them before the time? In reply, Jesus either asks the man or the demon in the man for its name, according to Luke 8. And Luke eight thirty through 32 says, Jesus asked him, what is your name? 
Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. So they beg Jesus for two favors. Favor number one is not to be sent into the abyss, and favor number two is to be sent into a herd of pigs grazing nearby instead. What? A fascinating and mystifying, a stupefying conversation. Well, we at least learn from this that these demons, as powerful as they are, have enormous respect for Jesus and a deep understanding of his power and authority. They know he has the power to torment them, banish them, or outright destroy him and them, and they beg for mercy. Perhaps most astonishingly of all, Jesus answers their request. Why? 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 This has been for many years one of my top Bible questions. Well, yes, of course, we know Jesus was merciful, gentle, and kind, but it simply defies everything I thought I understood about demons for Jesus to express mercy to them? Is that what's going on here? And the simple answer is... We can't be sure because Jesus does not explain his rationale in the text. So the best we can do is speculate. But wait, don't be too disappointed. Don't shut off the podcast just yet. I do have a theory for you. I think it's a solid theory, and I think I can make a reasonably good biblical case for it. And I actually think the text of Matthew 8 here even points us in this direction. But do realize that this is still conjecture, which is a fancy way of saying guessing. Maybe an educated guess, if you'll allow it. Here's the big clue in the text. When Jesus encounters the demons, they ask him a question. What do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Well, before what time? And I believe the answer, even though it's not explained explicitly, refers to the appointed time of their destruction. Just as these demons instantly knew who Jesus was, they seem to also know that their fate is sealed and they are doomed in the distant future when Jesus comes again to establish his rule and reign. And we see this doom, well, at least we see the doom of the devil portrayed in Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3, where it says, John says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, closed it, and put a seal on it so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released. He must be released for a short time. By the way, I've got a big question about that passage too. Why? Why must he be released for a short time? But that's another episode. So notice the fact that Revelation 20 mentions the abyss in that passage. It seems that there is an appointed time during the events of the second coming in which Satan himself will be cast and locked into the abyss, whatever that is. The text doesn't tell us about the demons, but is it possible, maybe probable or plausible, they suffer the same deserved fate, and possibly the legion demons here are aware of this, and they're aware that Jesus is confronting them early, in other words, before that time. Now, there's one more clue I think we can find in other texts, and that's this. Jesus is very, very, very explicit that he does not do what he wants or what he thinks best, but he follows the lead of his heavenly Father. For instance, John 5, 19, Jesus says, 
Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself, but only what he sees his father's doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. Or John 8, 28, so Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own. And if two teachings of that is not enough for you, how about John 12, 49? Where Jesus says, I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. Three times Jesus tells us clearly that he only does what the Father tells him. So let's put our clues together. Remembering, conjecture, guesswork, and it's not theology that we're doing right now. The demons speak of an appointed time for their judgment or destruction, and that time might be spoken of in the far future and written about in Revelation 20 during the judgment of Satan. Jesus clearly indicates that he only says and does what his Father commands and does. So how do these clues fit together? Well, in the wisdom of God the Father, it wasn't the right chronological time for these beings to be judged and destroyed or imprisoned in the abyss. That time was set and appointed for the future. The demons knew it, and Jesus certainly knew it, so he did not change the foreordained timetable set in place by his father because, quote, he did nothing on his own. So does that solve our mystery? Well, maybe, maybe not, but I believe it's a good biblical guess, and let's close with a great spiritual exhortation from Virginia pastor David Platt, who says, in this story, the text we're talking about, I can't help but see a contrast. Think about it with me. These demons have fear because of their belief. They know who Jesus is and they are scared out of their minds. Demons believe in, know the authority of Jesus, and that's why they're afraid here in Matthew 8. But we are just the opposite. We oftentimes have fear because of our unbelief. We struggle with fear because we lack the faith of demons. Does that make sense? Are you following with me here? These demons knew if we realized what they realize about Jesus, we would have no reason to fear. He's the son of God with authority over disease, demons, disaster, and nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing can touch us apart from his sovereign power in his sovereign will. We are the most secure people in the world, and our security is not based on how big our house is, how good our job is, or how stable the economy is, or who in the world our president is, or anything else. We are secure simply because we're in the hands of the one who has all authority and all the world, and he cares for us. And he is committed to providing everything you and I need in a world full of evil, suffering, sickness, and pain. We have no reason to fear. So why do you fear, you of little faith? Great question, Pastor David Platt. Let's continue with Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 1. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, gave the Israelites before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and appeared to them from Seir. He shone on them from Mount Paran and came with 10,000 holy ones, with lightning from his right hand for them. Indeed, he loves the people. All your holy ones are in your hand, and they assemble at your feet. Each receives your words. Moses gave us instruction, a possession for the assembly of Jacob. So he became king in Jeshurun, when the leaders of the people gathered with the tribes of Israel. Let Reuben live and not die, though his people become few. He said this about Judah. Lord, hear Judah's cry and bring him to his people. He fights for his cause with his own hands, but may you be a help against his foes. He said about Levi, 
Your Thubim and Urim belong to your faithful one. You tested him at Massai and contended with him at the waters of Meribah. He said about his father and mother, I do not regard them. He disregarded his brothers and didn't acknowledge his sons, for they kept your word and maintained your covenant. They will teach your ordinances to Jacob and your instruction to Israel. They will set incense before you your and hold burnt offerings on your altar. Lord, bless his possession and accept the work of his hands. Break the back of his adversaries and enemies so that they cannot rise again. He said about Benjamin, The Lord's beloved rests securely on him. He shields him all day long and he rests on his shoulders. He said about Joseph, May his land be blessed by the Lord with the dew of heaven's bounty and the watery depths that lie beneath with the bountiful harvest from the sun and the abundant yield of the seasons with the best products of the ancient mountains and the bounty of the eternal hills with the choice gifts of the land and everything in it and with the favor of him who appeared in the burning bush. May these rest on the head of Joseph on the brow of this prince of his brothers. His firstborn bull has splendor and horns like those of a wild ox. He gores all the peoples with them to the ends of the earth. Such are the ten thousands of Ephraim and such are the thousands of Manasseh. He said this about Zebulon. Rejoice, Zebulon, in your journeys, and Issachar in your tents. They summon the peoples to a mountain. There they offer acceptable sacrifices, for they draw from the wealth of the seas and the hidden treasures of the sand. He said about Gad. The one who enlarges Gad's territory will be blessed. He lies down like a lion and tears off an armor, even a head. He chooses the best part for himself because a ruler's purse portion was assigned there for him. He came with the leaders of the people. He carried out the Lord's justice and his ordinances for Israel. He said about Dan, Dan is a young lion leaping out of Bashan. He said about Naphtali, Naphtali enjoying approval, full of the Lord's blessing. Take possession to the east, to the west, and the south. He said about Asher, May Asher be the most blessed of the sons. May he be the most favored among his brothers and dip his foot in olive oil. May the bolts of your gate be iron and bronze and your strength last as long as you live. There is none like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to your aid, the clouds in his majesty. The God of old is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. He drives out the enemy before you and commands, destroy. So Israel dwells securely. Jacob lives untroubled in a land of grain and new wine. Even his skies drip with dew. How happy you are, Israel. Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? He is the shield that protects you. The sword you boast in, your enemies will cringe before you and you will tread on their backs. Deuteronomy 34. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, the top of Pisgah, which faces Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land. Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the plain in the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar, The Lord then said to him, This is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross into it. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the Lord's word. He buried him in the valley in the land of Moab facing Beth Peor, and no one to this day knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak and his vitality had not left him. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. 
Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land, and for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Psalm 119, verse 145. I call with all my heart, answer me, Lord, I will obey your statutes. I will call to you, save me, and I will keep your decrees. I rise before dawn and cry out for help. I put my hope in your word. I am awake through each watch of the night to meditate on your promise and keeping with your faithful love, hear my voice. Lord, give me life in keeping with your justice. Those who pursue evil plans come near. They are far from your instruction. You are near, Lord, and all your commands are true. Long ago, I learned from your decrees that you have established them forever. Consider my affliction and rescue me, for I have not forgotten your instruction. Champion my cause and redeem me. Give me life as you promised. Salvation is far from the wicked because they do not study your statutes. Your compassions are many, Lord. Give me life according to your judgments. My persecutors and foes are many. I have not turned from your decrees. I have seen the disloyal and feel disgust because they do not keep your word. Consider how I love your precepts. Lord, give me life according to your faithful love. The entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. Princes have persecuted me without cause, but my heart fears only your word. I rejoice over your promise like one who finds vast treasure. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your instruction. I praise you seven times a day for your righteous judgments. Abundant peace belongs to those who love your instruction. Nothing makes them stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation and carry out your commands. I obey your decrees and love them greatly. I obey your precepts and decrees for all my ways are before you. Let my cry reach you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea reach you. Rescue me according to your promise. My lips pour out praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue sings about your promise, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your instruction is my delight. Let me live, and I will praise you. May your judgments help me. I wander like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commands. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth, and total darkness the peoples, but the Lord will shine over you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to your shining brightness. Raise your eyes and look around. They all gather and come to you. Your sons will come from far away and your daughters on the hips of nursing mothers. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will tremble and rejoice because the riches of the sea will become yours and the wealth of the nations will come to you. Caravans of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah. All of them will come from Sheba. They will carry gold and frankincense and proclaim the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar will be gathered to you. The rams of Nabalath will serve you and go up on my altar as an acceptable offering. 
I will glorify my beautiful house. Who are these who fly like a cloud, like doves to their shelters? Yes, the coasts and islands will wait for me, with the ships of Tarshish in the lead, to bring your children from far away, their silver and gold with them, for the honor of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who has glorified you. Foreigners will rebuild your walls, and their kings will serve you. Although I struck you in my wrath, yet I will show mercy to you with my favor. Your city gates will always be open. They will never be shut day or night, so that the wealth of the nations may be brought into you, with their kings being led in procession. For the nation of the kingdom that will not serve you will perish. Those nations will be annihilated. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, its pine, elm, and cypress together to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will glorify my dwelling place. The sons of your oppressors will come and bow down to you. All who reviled you will fall face down at your feet. They will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Instead of your being deserted and hated with no one passing through, I will make you an object of eternal pride, a joy from age to age. You will nurse on the milk of nations and nurse at the breast of kings. And you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. I will bring gold instead of bronze. I will bring silver instead of iron, bronze instead of wood, and iron instead of stones. I will appoint peace as your government and righteousness as your overseers. Violence will never again be heard in your land. Devastation and destruction will be gone from your borders. You will call your walls salvation and your city gates praise. The sun will no longer be your light by day and the brightness of the moon will not shine on you. The Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your splendor. Your sun will no longer set and your moon will not fade for the Lord will be your everlasting light and the days of your sorrow will be over. All your people will be righteous. They will possess the land forever. They are the branch I planted, the work of my hand, so that I may be glorified. The least will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. I will accomplish it quickly in its time. Yes, Lord, come soon. Be our light. Amen. Good day, friends. Godspeed.